Good afternoon, and welcome to El Paso Primetime. I'm Richard Dave with Thunderbird Management Consulting. I have with me the pleasure of interviewing State Representative Joe Moody from District 78 and our Senator Cesar Blanco, District 29. Thank you both gentlemen for being on the show. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. You bet. And why is it so important that you're listening to these gentlemen today? Because we're about to go into our 88th legislative session. And during that session, they have to make many decisions, one of which is passing a budget. Another which is, and this is where the wrangling begins, and how much of that $27 billion surplus will we make available provide critical services to our citizens across the state? So with that, I'll stop talking and ask Joe first, because you're the elder statesman, even though you're, <laughs> you're a kid, uh, to share with our audience a little bit about your background and how you got to be doing what you're doing. Uh, first of all, I appreciate the invitation uh, to be here. And I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, we're probably the most important guests you've ever had on your program. <laughs> here, here. Uh, I would actually agree with that. <laughs> no, no, I'm just sorry. I just, uh, uh, Senator Blanco and I like to, we've been lucky enough to do a number of interviews together. And so um, if we break into shtick now and again, <laughs> I, I hope that hope that we'll get a little bit of a leeway from you and your audience. But we, we have a lot of fun together and came up in the house together. So we have a um, uh, I think we, we feed off each other quite well. But uh, my history in the legislature uh, goes back to, to 2009 when I first started. I was the uh, you referred to as, referred to me as the elder statesman from El Paso. I was the youngest member in the state of Texas at the time, so that title is long gone, uh, including you know, and that includes my hair, which has <laughs> continu- continued to recede over the years. I'm preaching to the choir. There. <laughs> Look, I'm catching up to you quickly, Richard. I think, but uh, and then my children often uh, uh, make note that my beard is is graying. They, they want to know which portion of the gray in my beard belongs to each one of them, which gray <laughs> hairs were put there. My oldest believes that he didn't he wasn't responsible for any of it because he's been my easiest. But <laughs> no, I um, very lucky to have been able to serve this community uh, for over for over a decade. Uh, it's a, it, it is really, truly the honor of my lifetime. Having been born and raised here, grew up in El Paso, uh, married a, a beautiful El Paso woman. Uh, and so just, um, you know, raising my kids here and, and seeing this community really blossom in the last decade has been been awesome. I think so much in my youth, at least people in my generation, uh, we looked elsewhere. We want to be the next Phoenix. We want to be the next San Antonio. We want to be the next Austin. We want to do this. And at some point, we decided to stop looking outside. And all of us kind of looked at ourselves and go, why don't we just be the next great version of El Paso. And we're really putting that together. And I've been proud to be part of a legislative delegation that is really cohesive and works on that intentionally, uh, you know, every single session that we go down to the Capitol. Thank you. And by the way, a little editorial comment I'm allowed. I personally think we have the best delegation we've had in many years. So kudos to all of you. Senator Blanco. Yes. Great to be here. your turn, sir. You bet. Great to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, um, my family's from El Paso. Uh, my uh, story is no different from most El Pasoans. Our, our roots are in Chihuahua, Mexico, uh, or in Juarez. And my grandparents came to this great country uh, in the pursuit of the American dream. And they had uh, several kids, and, and uh, one of them was my mother. And, uh, on my father's side, uh, they've been here for several generations, actually. But uh, grew up here in El Paso and a product of uh, uh, EPISD schools and YISD schools, graduated from, from Eastwood High School as well as UTEP, go Miners. Um, but uh, served in the military for a little over six and a half years uh, 
as a naval intelligence analyst uh, and a Stinger uh, missile gunner that received training here at Fort Bliss, uh, uh, Texas. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of worked in public service uh, with members of Congress all my life. I worked for three members of uh, Congress that represented uh, portions of El Paso County. Uh, as you remember, uh, Congressman uh, Silvestre Reyes, we did a lot of work together uh, when you uh, were uh, the head of the chamber and uh, did a lot of great work with him. But, uh, you know, public service is, is in my blood. And uh, we've been doing I've been doing this for eight years now. Uh, I've spent six years in the Texas House with uh, my, my buddy Joe. And uh, uh, when Senator Rodriguez uh, decided to uh, retire, um, I threw my hat in and uh, with the support of the delegation. And uh, uh, going back to Joe's comment about cohesiveness, I think um, El Paso is gaining because of the cohesion, because of our work, uh, not only on our side of the aisle, but our deep connections uh, with Republicans on the other side of the aisle. Um, everybody knows that the El Paso delegation is there to work. And I think what you see on this campus at UTEP, what you see uh, in Texas Tech on the campus, uh, what you see when you're driving and you're seeing those orange barrels everywhere because there's construction is, is because of the cohesive, dedicated work of uh, this team that we have that works together to make sure, making sure that we're bringing back El Paso's fair share. So uh, it's, been, it's been an honor to, to serve in this capacity. And I'm blessed to be able to work with a, a team of, of folks that uh, uh, equally care uh, and, and just put in the work. Thank you. So we'll begin now that we've had that background to touch on. To, if you would, please just chime in together and, and share with our audience, give them an overview of the Texas legislature, what it is, what it means, how bills become law, that kind of stuff. How, how long do we have for that? hours look it is a complicated process at at times but i kind of distill it down in in, into two kind of kind of two things is is um there are the people that you work with and there's the work that you want to do right and so senator blanco talked about we we serve in the minority we have been in the minority our entire career Uh, based on redistricting that just happened we're going to be in the minority for at least a little bit longer but it's never, it's never precluded us from achieving what we need to achieve for our community. So that's important in understanding how to work with one another. So that's why I say like the people that you work with doesn't mean you abandon your principles or what's important to your community, but you have to understand the, the dynamic of the, of, of the body that you work in, whether it be the House or the Senate, and figure out how to move your priorities through there. Because even in a tumultuous world, we want El Paso priorities to continue to kind of sail safely down the river uh, and, and and get and get you know get get finished at the end of the session. So, it is a it, it's it's not DC. I think that's one key distinction to make is it's not as it be, as it has become more and more partisan in my time. It certainly is nothing near what you see. And and the senator can speak to that. He's been there, seen what that looks like, and the gridlock that can cause. We still have avenues to work together. I think that's important, uh, and I think it also makes you a better legislator to be able to do that. So if um, if you kind of marry those two together, you understand the dynamic of the personalities you're working with and how to how to marry that with the goals that you have. If you do that well, that's what makes for a successful legislative session. And I think I think we're I think we're well positioned to have another good session this session. But um, I'll let the, the senator weigh in From on that your process. Lips to God's ears. <laughs> and Senator, actually, it's a, it's a great opportunity for a segue for you. So if you would, please uh, piggyback on that, but also share with our audience the differences between the House and the Senate. I think I think Joe put it perfectly uh, in terms of the work that we do with 
members of, of the other party, uh, the work that we do in our committees. Um, you know, this delegation uh, uh, serves in very important capacities. Uh, first of all, with Joe, who has a great relation. We, we call him the ambassador uh, because he's got great uh, uh, ties uh, and relationships uh, with the leadership of the House. And then you have Mary Gonzalez, who serves on the LBB. She's the vice chair of appropriations. Um, and then every single other member, uh, from Claudia uh, Ordaz to Lina Ortega and Eddie Morales, uh, all of them serve on very important committees, and that's where a lot of the, the work happens. Uh, we hear the priorities from our community. We get our bills filed. They are sent over to the committees, and we do our committee work there, which is why we, uh, we select those. We choose uh, those committees, but uh, obviously it's with the with the go- lieutenant governor as well as the Speaker of the House deciding where we're going to serve. Um, but they've taken care of us, uh, so uh, and they've taken care of our community. Um, the, the House... Uh, so first of all, as a senator who's been house trained, uh, uh, I could tell it's you that by the way. It, it is. Yeah. It totally is. Uh, you, you get there's senators that uh, have never been part of a legislative process, and then the house is a great training ground for that um, because you have to know your bills. Um, this is something that's very different from Washington D.C. Uh, you lay out your bills, you research your bills, you uh, defend your bills, uh, you amend your bills, you accept amendments. And then you got to work with the other chamber to make sure that uh, uh, you've got a, a someone who's sponsoring those bills on that side as well. Um, but it's very different. I mean, there's 150 House members. Uh, each House member represents about 160,000 people. On the Senate, uh, you've got 31 senators that represent close to uh, just under a million people. So um, we serve in the Senate uh, on more committees. We're on. Uh, I serve on four committees. So as you can imagine, it takes a, a lot of time. I'm in Austin, uh, you know, twice a month at minimum, uh, because we've got committee hearings. Um, You're in Austin twice a month at a minimum during the off that's session, correct. right? That's correct. So, um, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of territory, a lot more people. However, in the chamber, uh, it's it's a very small group of folks, um, and I think that's why we've been able to be successful is because we make a point to build these relationships within key decision makers. And uh, I think we've done a very good job of, of, of building those relationships. So it is different. Um, uh, obviously, the lieutenant governor is uh, elected uh, by uh, Texas statewide, whereas the speaker is elected by the members of the body. Um, but there's a lot of tradition in the Senate, uh, and there's a lot of deference to um, uh, the caucus of the whole is what we call it. Uh, you know, Republicans and Democrats, that work together. And um, it, it, it works. Um, so it's, uh, it's been an honor. It's been fun. But yeah, it's quite different from the House. Thank you, sir. We're here interviewing with Senator Cesar Blanco, District 29, your state senator, and State Representative Joe Moody, District 78. And so the next question I'd have for you that I know most of our audience is not likely to know, which is, how does a bill become law? Uh, I don't want to give away all my secrets. Um, it, it's funny because it, there are so many different ways you can get. I, I'd put it actually like this. How does a policy that you want to implement become law? Because there are multiple ways you can get it done. It can be done in a bill form. Uh, I've passed many bills in the form of amendments where you take a ride on somebody else's bill uh, and, and, and take it that way. But the senator kind of laid out the you know, the textbook process would be you introduce a bill as a House member with any, you know, if you're coordinating, and we do this often, so you'll see this this session where Senator Blanco will file the identical piece of legislation that I file in the House and vice versa. And so you take two lanes at the same time. 
see who if you, let's say there's you know every session's different maybe the maybe the the the, wheel, the track is greased on the Senate side this time for X policy, or maybe it's the House this time, and you send it across the rotunda to the other chamber and see if you can't get it all the way, uh, can't get it all the way to the governor's desk. Sometimes it gets jammed up in the committee process. Sometimes, and I know this is a shock to you. Sometimes people will play political games that have nothing to do with your bill. Um, no, I, it, it's <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I should have I should have told your audience to sit down before I said that. Um, but that does happen. People play games in a 140-day session. A lot of games can be played. And so sometimes you have to get creative. And that means that, uh, you know, finding a similar bill and, and, and putting your bill onto that bill as an amendment, that's where your relationships come into play, too, though, because, you know, you've got you've to essentially take a ride on someone else's effort. And that's got to they've got to have confidence in you that you're not pulling the wool over their eyes. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's magic you pull in what's called a conference committee. So a bill where there has a difference between the House and the Senate version goes to something called a conference committee in which five members from the Senate and five members from the House are supposed to come together and fix all the differences and then produce a version that everybody can vote on. Sometimes your policy or your bill magically appears in the language of a conference committee report, uh, depending on how good you are at this process. So multiple multiple ways to do that. And when you, you know, when you have the experience like the senator has in both chambers or, or someone, uh, you know, the folks that we have on the House side that are been there getting seniority, you know all these kind of tricks of the trade. And it's valuable because in a short time, many ways, there are many ways to kill your bill. There, You have to figure out the ways to pass it too. And so uh, it's a like I, say, it, it, I know they always talk about the sausage being made and maybe you don't want to watch that. And there are times when I don't want to watch it. Uh, but it's uh, it, it can be very complicated. But it, I enjoy the creativity of that process, and, and that's that's kind of the kind of the fun of it, in my opinion. I'm actually glad you said that. Go ahead, sir. Well, I was going to say, um, uh, Joe's spot on on all of that process. Um, another aspect of it is you got to work with the governor uh, because oh, I forgot the, about him. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's a good point. Sorry, sir. <laughs> you know, you, you've got to, and, and, and I, it's no secret in my freshman term, uh, there was a bill that got all the way through and made it to the governor's desk, got a notification that it got vetoed. And I said, what? From that, from that point on, I made it a point, okay, I've got to go have a relationship with the governor. I've got to um, have a relationship uh, with the governor's chief of staff. So after that, and, and it, was, it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't a political deal. It was one of those things that the governor didn't like some uh, aspect of the bill and they vetoed it. It happens, right? But a good lesson learned for a freshman legislator uh, uh, several years ago that work with the governor's office, uh, run it by them, see what they think uh, about it, and then you'll have the success rate will go up yeah, <laughs> if, by the way, if you that, do that. That formula you just mentioned can be laid across as you know in my in my practice at TMC. I have to go to city council all the time or commissioner's court, and that particular philosophy applies to it all. Right. Yeah. Right. So, Senator, you mentioned a moment ago that you go to Austin at least twice a month during the interim. And I think it's important for our audience to know what things happen during the interim. Why do you go during the interim? Sure. Very important point. A lot of folks think that, you know, we operate in a biennium and, and our work is done after session. Um, as we have recently seen, uh, the governor has called several special sessions on a variety of things. And we, we were really kept there uh, about uh, close to nine months out of the year. 
But in, in, a, in regular circumstances, when there's just one session, um, a lot of work happens in the interim. Uh, leadership in the House, leadership in the Senate, uh, they will put out their priorities uh, for us to study uh, during the interim. And these are, these are called your interim charges. And those are interim charges. It's the work that we do, researching, studying, receiving testimony, hearings, identifying how to fix problems that occur in the state. So there's a lot of busy work uh, during that time. Back home, uh, we do a lot of constituent services. We're doing uh, back-to-school backpack events. We are helping immigrants, you know, submit their applications for citizenship pro bono. We do um, a variety of roundtables. Uh, we do we do listening tours in our districts to, to listen to constituents' needs and concerns. So a lot of our work is back home figuring out what the needs are, uh, meeting with uh, leaders in our community to find out how we can work and, and service or be a service to our community. So uh, it's a great opportunity for us in the quote unquote downtime or interim to get a lot of this work done because during session, you only have 140 days. So if you don't get that uh, information and your plan ready in advance of that 140 days, uh, you're not going to have a very successful session. So you do a lot of that work during the interim. Thank you. You look like you're going to say something. Some things that we were happy to work on, some things we probably weren't very happy to work on because of circumstances. There was a committee created in the wake of the shooting, the mass shooting here in El Paso uh, that both Senator Blanco, then Representative Blanco and I sat on uh, in the wake of the mass shooting at Robb Elementary. Speaker Phelan created an investigatory committee um, uh, into that shooting and placed, placed me on it. Those are things that, you know, the weight of the state sits on your shoulders because of the issues in the subject matter. Um, so those are things that you're not looking for, you're not asking for, but it's important work to do because of uh, because of the gravity of those situations. But in other instances, you know, served on the select committee on mental health reform, on substance use disorder, uh, on criminal justice reform. So those are things that leadership, you know, tees up trying to get kind of get traction as you head into session. So it's an important place for us to weave ourselves into those leadership pushes as well. Thank you. First Representative Moody, if you would talk a little bit about the committees you serve on and why they're so important. And then Senator Blanco, I'd like you to do the same. In the last, uh, or at least I guess currently, before they before we do new assignments that start next year, I serve as the vice chair of the Calendars Committee. Uh, the Calendars Committee is considered one of the most powerful committees in, in the Texas House because it sets the agenda. No bill that hits the floor comes to the floor without it coming through the Calendars Committee. So that is a very, I've served in that capacity two sessions in, in a row, and it certainly has served us well. Uh, I think that helps us move our legislation, but also helps create some good political pressure for, for other issues that we work on. I serve on the Judiciary and Civil Jurisprudence Committee currently, uh, which handles you know, business, uh, you, know, you know, business litigation, civil trials, civil justice issues. Uh, and also, and aside from that, served on redistricting in the last session, which which was um, obviously uh, took up a lot of our time and, and conversation. And then the speaker has assigned me to work on the uh, uh, the criminal justice reform committee, as well as the investigative committee on the Rob Elementary School shooting. Thank you. Senator Blanco. So I've, I've been very fortunate to receive committee assignments that uh, that uh, I think are important for our region. I serve on the Health and Human Services uh, Committee, and this last session uh, we really spearheaded the COVID relief effort and had an opportunity to uh, voice our concerns from a border community. Uh, we dealt with we were we were never out of the red, so to speak, uh, during the pandemic. El Paso was always a hot spot. Um, so uh, as was the rest of West Texas. Um, so it was a great opportunity to be able to advocate for some of the COVID policies that we passed this last session. 
and Health and Human Services is so important for our region. Uh, I also serve on the Higher Ed uh, Committee, uh, which is oversees our higher ed institutions in the state of Texas. Uh, we've got uh, University of Texas at El Paso, UTEP. We've got Texas Tech uh, Health Sciences Center here in El Paso with our medical school and our dental school. Uh, we've got great community college, El Paso Community College and Southwestern University and and uh, Western Tech that uh, are, provide important CTE. Uh, we're going to be working a lot of, on CTE this next uh, session as well. And then I've got, uh, I represent Saul Ross State University. Uh, so I've got three university systems in my district, Texas State System, UT System, as well as Texas Tech System. So very important committee to advocate for resources uh, and policies that impact our uh, institutions of higher ed here in El Paso. Also serve on the Transportation Committee. As you know, transportation is part of our lifeblood here in our economy in, in, in El Paso with our ports of entry. Uh, so we can focus on infrastructure funds. We can focus on making sure that uh, trade is, is, is coming across fast and secure. And, and we provided uh, intelligence transportation systems at our port of entry to the tune of $32 million. And uh, we're able to make sure that uh, El Paso receives its fair share of transportation dollars. And we've invited several folks, such uh, several members of the Texas Transportation Committee to visit El Paso and tour El Paso. We just had Chairman uh, Nichols, who's a Senate uh, Chairman on Transportation. And uh, finally, I serve on the Veteran Affairs Committee and, um, that focuses on border security, uh, but also veterans care. Uh, we've got uh, about 50,000 vets uh, that reside in El Paso County. So we want to make sure that the state's doing its job uh, to provide veterans the care that they earned and that they deserve. Thank you. I'd like you to share with our audience maybe one or two, three things you're most proud of, each of you, from the 87th session. Well, and and before I launch into that, I think we're a delegation that punches above our weight. I mean, you know, Senator and I can talk about what we serve on, but to give you a quick rundown of our other delegation members, I mean, you got, give you the committee name, appropriations, public education, higher education, transportation, international relations and economic development, business and industry. I mean, this is a delegation that serves on all the committees, virtually all the committees that are critical to what we do. And in fact, our new member, Eddie Morales, serves on Homeland Security and Public Safety. So deals with DPS and all the things going on in, in, in a border community like ours. So we are very lucky that we have a diverse group that is using their skills uh, wisely and efficiently, and, and hopefully we're going to continue that in the next session. Uh, successes from the 87th. All right, I got to wash away some of the things that I didn't like about the 87th. <laughs> There's a lot to wash away. Let me clear the cue of those things. We were able to bring down dollars in the late part of the special sessions for both Texas Tech and, and for UTEP. That's important, uh, you know, for, for the infrastructure, continue to, to build infrastructure on those campuses. While I don't think it was, you know, probably not where it should have been level, at the level it should have been, it's it's one of those where money's being spent. You got to make sure you're in line, like the senator said, you got to be in line to get what you can get at that time, because if they're going to open the state checkbook, you don't want to be the one that's not sitting at the table. And so we were we were lucky to be there. So I think those are that's a success for sure. We were able to secure, I believe, another you know, additional either five or ten, I think another five million dollars towards the the construction of the the tramway. Uh, we're not done with that funding yet. My hope is that we can finish that and wrap it up this session. That's been a giant project, um, but it's going to be a state-of-the-art uh, amenity when we get done with it. One that we can really be proud of again, and and, and really excited about that. Uh, and, and so those are those are some of the things that I think we have to, you know, we, we walk away from the 87th session successful. I, I, you know, the senator can certainly speak to some other items. Yeah, I mean, so in addition to all uh, that Joe had mentioned, uh, hadn't previously mentioned the, the funds for 
for uh, ITS. But uh, we also got funds for our state parks. I mean, Waco Tank State Parks has got uh, additional funding for increased uh, facilities. Uh, they've got a, a beautiful plan and for a um, visitor center out there. Uh, the missions uh, received funding as well. So, uh, uh, you know, in terms of getting dollars to El Paso, uh, Joe's right. We punch above our, our weight. Um, one of the things I'm really proud of is uh, uh, in the aftermath of the shooting in El Paso, uh, we got together uh, and uh, uh, the governor uh, uh, had a, uh, created the Texas Safety Action Report uh, we came here to El Paso, had hearings, uh, and we went to d- different places where there had been mass shootings. And uh, out of that te- Texas Safety Action Report, one of the recommendations was this bill, uh, the Lion Tribe Bill, and uh, work closely with the governor and 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 uh, make sure that this bill was right. Uh, essentially, if you lie uh, on a background check when you're trying to illegally purchase a, a firearm. It's a state offense. Uh, so keeping guns out of the hands of bad guys is what this does, and I'm very proud of that bill. It was one of many recommendations. Uh, Joe and I have been pushing uh, to ensure that uh, guns are not accessible to, to dangerous individuals uh, because it was horrific what we experienced in our community. But hopefully we can go back next session, and, and, and I know Joe's been working on, on a couple of items as well, but uh, this is a big issue that we need to deal with uh, in, in our state. The other uh, bill I'm really proud of is the Vanessa Act. Uh, we passed this bill before the feds passed it, and they essentially modeled uh, our bill. Um, this is a bill that allows a service member who has been sexually harassed or assaulted to be able to report the incident outside of their chain of command. Uh, many times we've seen the chain of command sweep things under the rug. Right. Uh, and, and this is what occurred during uh, Vanessa Guillen's time in, in, in the military. And she was afraid to report it. And unfortunately, we know uh, what, what happened afterwards. But uh, I worked closely with the family to ensure that we did this right and we passed the bill. Fortunately, the, the U.S. Congress took it up in, uh, in Washington, passed it, so it, it's applicable now to all our uh, military forces. So uh, those are, I think, j- between uh, Joe and, and what we discussed, I think these are amazing uh, accomplishments for our communities. Uh, and keep in mind, these are Democrats passing all of this funding, passing these important bills in a minority. Uh, right. So uh, we work hard. It doesn't, it doesn't fall lightly for me either. I am sitting here interviewing Senator Cesar Blanco and State Representative Joe Moody. So let us begin by talking about your priorities for the upcoming 88th legislative session, which has just begun. Sure. I, in in and Richard, I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to the senator on 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 some El Paso specific things. I, certainly, I think at the top of mind for all of us is getting a real uh, you know a building for our dental school here. I think that's an important thing for us. I'm gonna defer to the senator on some of our El Paso specific things. I want to talk a, a little bit about um, you know the, the time I spent in Uvalde over uh, over the uh, you know uh, during the interim during the downtime. Um, and the last time I was in that community, I sat in a a room of family members uh, and loved ones of the victims uh, of the horrific tragedy that took place there. And they asked me for two things. And they said, we want accountability. And I think they meant not just accountability for those who, you know, who failed that day, but they wanted accountability from me uh, and from the legislature. And they said, in addition to that, please don't let our children have died in vain. Please make sure that something changes in this state for them. And Senator Blanco and I have sat in the room and talked to the victims' families from here at the Walmart shooting, and I made the same commitment to the folks in Uvalde. I am accountable to them, and I will continue to to fight for reforms in this state to make this place safe so we never see 
what we saw on on those two days. Our communities are forever tied in that tragedy. Uh, it's something that weighs on me heavily uh, every time uh, I walk on the floor. And so part of our major legislative packet this year is to address access uh, access to weapons and what information we're gathering about people who are amassing an enormous amount of firepower, like what happened in Uvalde. So we have a bill uh, that says we just want to know when people are purchasing uh, you know, dozens of magazines. I mean, we do this when people go purchase Sudafed in this state, but we don't do it when they are purchasing and amassing an arsenal. Uh, and let me, let's make sure that we're giving that information to the local sheriff. We do that when handguns are purchased, multiple handgun purchases, but we don't do it with, with, with AR-15s, with, with assault rifles. Why? Why are we not doing that? Um, What are we doing to connect services in our schools to folks who may be falling through the cracks uh, uh, like the attacker in that situation? So uh, there are a number of things that we can do uh, to keep our commitment to those families in, in their community and to the families right here in El Paso. And, um, you know, those those things certainly are crystallized in my mind as I get ready to head back onto the floor of the Texas House. Um, you know, El Paso obviously is, is, is a priority in many ways. I just didn't want to uh, talk about the 88th session and not mention uh, the, the horrific things that occurred since the last session and, and the, the urgency that we have to have to make this state safer for everybody. Thank you for saying that. And oh, by the way, that happened to be one of the notes I wanted to ask you both about. You mentioned Uvalde and what those families have gone through. We're in a new session. We have a significant fund available to us in a surplus of $27 billion. I've been reading through some of the priorities, because that's part of my job, with the school districts. And across the school districts, there are two things that seem to jump off the page I never used to see. One of which is we, the school districts, need the state to help fund the security that we need for our schools, since we're living in a new environment, sadly, uh, that doesn't seem to be going away. And we also have to recognize the emotional stress, the pain, the suffering that these children are going through, not only because of what we've just experienced with Uvalde, be candid with you, and it's a sort of a self-inflicting wound that we as a country have imposed upon ourselves, which is through a couple of years of COVID and the shutdowns and the kids being forced to learn from school, learn remotely and being isolated. Uh, The impact of that, and I'm hardly an expert in the subject, but I've witnessed it, it's going to be carrying forward for years to come. We don't know the depth and breadth of the challenges that we're dealing with as a result of that isolation. So if you would care to comment on that, I would greatly appreciate it. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely correct. That, that we have to utilize those funds in those two areas. Specifically, um, it, it's it's very difficult as, as, a, as a father of uh, young children going through, you know, the elementary school process. I want them to laugh. I want them to have a good time. I want them to enjoy things. I want them to play on the playground. I want the, all those things for them that we had when we were growing up, knowing that we live in a different time and, and, and understanding that. But I want them to have that innocence of youth. I want that. I don't want to take that away. And so when we talk about school security, I think there's a way to do it which protects that experience, but also make sure that we keep them safe. Um, One of the gentlemen we met in Uvalde who handles facilities there, he said he didn't want to build prisons out of the schools, but he said, what do we do with our most prized possessions? We keep them safe. We keep them safe. Uh, And and, and that's what we have to keep keep thinking about as we as we layer in funds for schools in doing this let's think about safety let's not put razor wire on the fences that's not going to solve the problem that's actually gonna that's it's probably gonna have a net negative effect on our kids and that bleeds into the argument or the conversation about mental health 
COVID was a big problem with that. We saw it here exacerbated uh, post the shooting uh, at Walmart and 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 the add ripple effects throughout our community. We know now, and our uh, behavioral health consortium here in El Paso has promoted the idea that we need to expand our services specifically towards the youth. And this is an opportunity to do it. Uh, this is a session to do it. There are funds available to do it. All, um, all things are aligned to help alleviate those gaps in our mental health services we so desperately need to fill. Uh, and I think we can do them both. These are things that really should be at the forefront of what we do this session. So I, I don't want to, like I said, I want to defer to the senator on a lot of these, a lot of these local efforts because I think um, there's a lot to be said for our agenda, which is robust and, and, and big. But I did did want to mention those those items. Well, thank you for doing that, sir, Senator Blanco. Joe's absolutely right. Uh, we've been having conversations with the Be- Behavioral Health Consortium here in El Paso. Uh, kids have gone through a lot during the pandemic. Uh, our community has gone through a lot during. Um, the migrant crisis. We've gone through a lot and seen a lot as a result of the shooting. So um, our community needs help. And uh, we've been working uh, to make sure that uh, we're fighting for resources to expand our capacity to provide uh, behavioral health here in our community uh, with a facility. Um, uh, you know, Joe and, and, and Mary have been working uh, on the House side. I've been working on the Senate side. I've had uh, conversations with uh, our, our chair, uh, um, Huffman, who chairs the finance committee and her team, I had a conversation with Lieutenant Governor about this and, and the Lieutenant Governor actually announced, he, he mentioned El Paso, uh, the need in El Paso when he laid out his priorities uh, for this next legislative session. So that's, that's important because it's not just here in El Paso, it's all over the state. Um, Separate from that, we've got to focus on making sure that if we're going to build facilities, that we have the healthcare professionals that can meet the demands in those facilities. And right now, there's a massive shortage of uh, nurses, of physicians, of uh, practitioners, nurse practitioners. Um, so we are going to focus heavily this session on making sure that we are providing, while we're providing the infrastructure and the facilities, we also have to provide. Uh, the resources and the incentives for these healthcare uh, professionals to either come to the state of Texas or go to school in the state of Texas, but but more importantly, remain in practice in the state of Texas. Uh, very important for our community. Our community is also going to be focusing on a lot of issues that impact people's wallets. Look, El Pasoans, uh, because of inflation, uh, because of uh, the rising cost of goods, uh, the rising cost of property taxes, El Pasoans are feeling the pinch. And we're going to be focusing on things that are important to the economic security of our families here in our community. And this means pushing for real property tax reform. We're looking at, uh, or relief rather, uh, we need to focus on uh, making sure that we're improving our water infrastructure. We need to make sure that we're expanding broadband, uh, not only in our inner cities, but in our rural communities. I represent eight counties. Uh, and some of those are, are designated as frontier counties uh, because they don't have the basic infrastructure. Uh, we need to make sure that we're supporting uh, energy security jobs in the state of Texas. Uh, we need to improve our SNAP uh, benefits. We need to expand Medicaid. For that, those of you who do not know what SNAP is, this is basically food stamps. Correct. Uh, and we want to make sure that uh, we're providing child care programs. It's too, so expensive to send your kids to to child care. Uh, it's unaffordable. So these are the things uh, that, that are, and not to mention we need to expand Medicaid. These are all the things that we're focusing from a policy perspective uh, that will have a direct positive impact uh, to uh, El Pasoans in, in West Texas. So separate from that, 
our institutions of higher ed are, are so important. Uh, they are part of the socioeconomic ladder for our communities. Uh, this, this includes El Paso Community College and UTEP, Texas Tech, uh, Sol Ross State University, and others. Um, so we're going to be focusing a lot on our institutions, making sure that uh, we're bringing in the resources to ensure that uh, there's quality classrooms, uh, that they, there are enough professors uh, to meet the demand, and making sure that we have the resources and funding uh, to increase CTE. These are your career technology uh, uh, jobs. These are your uh, welders, your HVAC folks, your coders, uh, folks that, that industry needs in order to be competitive. And we're going to be focusing on those things uh, this next legislative session. Thank you. Thank you, Senator. We have with us this afternoon State Representative Joe Moody, District 78, and State Senator Cesar Blanco, District 29. Uh, And we're talking about the 88th legislative session and their priorities. And actually, as you were speaking, Senator, I wanted to touch base, uh, going back to your comments about school, because I I do notice another initiative that all the school districts seem to be making a priority in asking for additional funding because we do have this issue with property taxes and the school districts in almost every community are the highest percentage of our tax bill, property tax bill. The way it's structured and the funding that they get or don't get does impact their ability to provide services. And I know that one of the things that we've been striving to accomplish for a number of sessions has been universal pre-K. If you would, either one of you care to speak about that. Yeah, the studies demonstrate, they, they demonstrate that a full day of pre-K sets those children, puts them at an advantage. Um, so absolutely, it, it, that's a priority for us. We want to make sure that we have a full day uh, of pre-K for all children uh, in the state of Texas. Look, we've got a golden egg. We've got this budget surplus that we can use. And I know a lot of different people have ideas on how to spend the money. Typically, they say sessions are easier when you don't have money. But when you <laughs> do have money, everybody wants a piece of that. Uh so, uh, but I think from our perspective, public education funding is I- extremely important. Um, and this is, we can check two boxes with this. One, you're educating and preparing the future workforce of Texas that makes us competitive. When companies are looking to relocate uh, to West Texas or to El Paso, one of the first things they ask are, tell me about your schools and tell me about your workforce. The other thing is, uh, how's your healthcare delivery system here? Uh, and then the third thing is, what's there to do? Um, but education <laughs> is so important. But we've also seen at the same time, property tax values skyrocket in the state of Texas, uh, not just here in El Paso. So there's a way of being able to 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 do two things at once from my perspective. Um, and here, when you look at the property tax uh, distribution here in El Paso, it's 64% of the homeowners are, are footing that bill, whereas a smaller percentage of 40% is commercial. In other cities, it's different. It's reversed. Uh, 60% of the burden is on your commercial property taxpayers and 40% are, are, are your residential. We need to make sure that we're making those investments. If the state is able to invest in public education, that's essentially buying down your property taxes. And it's in our constitution. We are constitutionally mandated to provide a public school system in the state of Texas. The problem is that we haven't been funding it at the level that we need to be funding it at. We're, we're, we're funding it at like the 30, 30-something percent, whereas you know Democrats have argued that we need to be 50% or above. Um, but that's a way to a good way to check two boxes creating and putting our youth uh, on the path uh, to success at the same time helping the local taxpayer by, by making sure that the, the state pays its fair share uh, of public school education thank you Joe yeah I mean I think the senator highlighted exactly why it's important to invest in this arena I you know give you a real world example and something that we're gonna have to deal with and I don't know that we've quite got our arms around it yet is what exactly did we lose during COVID in terms of educational experience, in terms of 
emotional learning, social emotional learning, all those things. I dropped my oldest off to his first day at kindergarten uh, a few days after the, the shooting at the Walmart. Go forward, he ends uh, or heads off on spring break, March 13th of 2020, and never goes back for a year. That was his, that's his introduction into the education system. That is, I do not know, you know what that's going to mean for him and the echo of that going forward. That's a trauma. We can say it however we want to say it. That's a trauma that's visited upon. And look, I, he is very lucky. We are very lucky. We have a lot of supports within our family. That's not true of everybody. And so what is that echo effect look like going forward for every child that lost you know, that year, maybe more than a year? Uh, maybe they were already behind, depending on where they were in their educational journey, that time off or that digital, that digital learning environment you know, impacted them different ways. So the way we address that is going to be critically important to what, you know, what our economic future holds. You know, this is investment in our future, but we have to address what happened. We can't just hold on and hope for the best. You have to invest in and help correct what happened because we know that there was loss. So that's something I think is, is critically important. This is an opportunity to do that in a lot of different ways. And I'm not an expert in that field, but you know, I can just tell you as a parent, you can see it. You can see it in your own kids. You can see it in the kids that they interact with. Uh, and so you know, we have that obligation, as the senator spoke to, to do you know to do right by our kids for that generation, and that's like a smart investment too, because those are the kids that are going to be working to make sure we're taken care of when when I'm much grayer than I am now. But it's just it's just the right thing to do, and this it, we have the opportunity to do it because of the strength of our economy right now. Speaking as a private sector business person my whole life, what I've observed, partly through the years I worked at the chamber. And, working in the educational community and support. We have Head Start, which is a great program, but it needs to be expanded, I think most would agree. Whether you leave it under the heading of Head Start or call it something else, we need to be able to provide that access to that preschool program, that pre-K, for all children, irrespective of what their economic backgrounds are, but most importantly for those who are the most disadvantaged, because those are the ones that we're helping literally lift them up so that, as you spoke about, Senator, giving them the opportunity as they get a better education and advance more quickly than to be prepared for the workforce that we want them to pursue. But if you would, in no particular order, uh, talk a little bit about, you know, we spoke about the 87th session. Let's talk a little bit about the now 88th session. And what do you think? Well, first of all, the partisanship that you mentioned, how do you think that's going to impact your ability to do your jobs in this session? Uh, our, our chamber's partisan makeup shifted slightly. It was 83 Republicans, 67 Democrats in the 87th session. It is now um, 87 Republicans, 63 Democrats going into the 88th session. So a fairly a small, uh, a small tweak to the partisan makeup of, of the body. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how uh, the Republican leadership digests the election results of 2022, right? This is supposed to be a red wave wipe out across the board, uh, you know, a huge inroads with the Latino community or the border communities, none of those things materialized. So then how do you take that and the results of the election and translate that into what the session looks like? Uh, you know, when we came out of 2018, uh, when Senator Blanco was still in the House and he led the House Democratic Campaign Committee in which we flipped, I don't know, how many? 15. 15 seats from red to blue. Uh, session looked a lot different. They called it the what was it, Kumbaya, Kumbaya Session. session. <laughs> and it's always been my thing, and I've told everybody this, and it's probably a joke I've told you before too, is I'm going to get hats made 
um, and they're going to say, make government boring again. Uh, that's really what it should be. We're, we're not the WWE. We're not for here for entertainment, although maybe we do think we're entertaining from time to time. Um, we really need to get down to the nuts and bolts of it. And our conversation up until this point goes to that infrastructure, schools. What are we doing for to, to make sure that life works well for people? The, the government shouldn't be, like I say, it shouldn't be one of those things that you fixate your life on. It should, things should just be operating and happening for you. And so hopefully that's where we can get back to is a, is a more nuts and bolts, kumbaya attitude like we had in the 2019 session and get away from the divisive uh, red meat, uh, kind of ugly, hyper-partisan politics that we saw in 2021. Thank you. And it actually uh, leads to my next question, which is, what do you think will be the priorities during this session for the rest of the members of the Texas legislature? Well, everyone ha- <laughs> everyone has their, uh, their ideas from, you know, uh, limiting lobbyists to represent uh, cities and counties. There's just a variety. Everyone comes in with their with their priorities. But uh, uh, I think we've listed out our priorities here uh, for West Texas. Um, I, You know, we've got some major issues that we've got to deal with. Uh, uh, we've got some major water infrastructure issues that we need to, to focus on, uh, and we've got the money for it. We've got to make sure that we expand broadband to every reach in the state of Texas. But uh, I think the pandemic demonstrated that without broadband, we're kind of sitting ducks. Parents uh, became instant teachers with their kids at home with their tablets and their laptops, but those that didn't have any connection, there's a lot of learning loss there. Uh, senior citizens were, were uh, for the first time, able to use telehealth. Uh, and I think doctors became, became very comfortable with telehealth. They have. Um, I can speak to that firsthand. Yeah. In fact, they prefer it in many cases. Yeah. I mean, you could see a lot of patients uh, uh, quickly through telehealth. So we need to, to expand broadband. Um, we've got to f- focus on energy security uh, in the state of Texas. I think uh, uh, what happened during that winter storm uh, really puts our state at a disadvantage. Um, when you look at uh, companies investing in the state of Texas, that's a big deal. So we need to make sure that we're looking at diversifying and, and making sure that, uh, uh, that we're focusing on, on energy security. Um, behavioral health is going to be a big issue uh, this session. Uh, the nursing shortage and the healthcare professional shortages, those are things that we're going to address. Uh, so we've got a very uh, robust, uh, uh, you know, agenda. Now, there will be political issues. You know, there will be a lot of uh, issues. Uh, border security is always a big ticket item that's debated uh, uh, in both the House and the Senate. Um, uh, you know, we're going to be looking at uh, a variety of uh, COVID protocols. Uh, there's been looks in, uh, people looking into, even on the Republican side, looking into the powers of the governor. Um, so, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, stuff to work on. But for El Paso, uh, you know, we keep our eye on the things that are going to improve our communities, which is infrastructure, education, and health care. And, and guaranteed this delegation is going to have a voice in every single one of those issues. I'm so glad you brought up health care. So let's talk briefly about this. I mean, we're notorious in the state of Texas for not having the best support system for health care for the least who are capable of providing for themselves. Some thoughts about maybe what the legislature might do, the governor might do as we go through this next year and recognizing what we have 20 so percent of our citizens in El Paso are either completely uncovered or or certainly undercovered, underinsured. This this is a cost that you bear at some point. We do. So it, this is this is one of those things that that you know some people have come to the realization, well, if we invest and allow people to take care of their health on the front end, their health care costs reduce over time. Now, we live in an instant gratification society, and so maybe that doesn't 
hold you know kind of hold water for some folks. But that's just I mean, this is fact. That's the way it works. I will add a couple things to, to what the senator said. I think, and it dovetails with what you're talking about in healthcare, is making sure that uh, new and expectant mothers have access to healthcare in a bigger, broader way than they do today. Uh, the House is going to prioritize that item. Our speaker has said as much. And, and quite honestly, uh, when you take uh, when you take as big and as radical a swing at, at at abortion care services away from women in the state of Texas, I would hope that you would offer uh, more health care for those new and expectant mothers. And so, uh, you know, I think that's uh, that's something that we will see in the coming session. The other issue that, that will be put front and center on the House side is one near and dear to, 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 to my heart, and it's one that the Speaker has advocated for time and time again, which is criminal justice reform. That takes uh, that takes many different forms. We can talk about that for episode three, uh, if you want. <laughs> have me back. But multiple lanes that you can operate in when you talk about criminal justice reform. But when you talk about the budget, the biggest drivers of the budget are public education, health care, and the criminal justice system. So we've talked about two of those. The other is what are we doing to 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 the human capital that we're putting to waste in our criminal justice system, particularly for low level offenses. So what can we do to rehabilitate folks out of that out of that system and put them back to work in Texas? Excellent. Thank you. Expanding Medicaid, I think, is so important. I agree with everything that Joe said. This is a a very difficult topic because we've seen Republicans in other states expand Medicaid. You expand Medicaid uh, in the state of Texas, over 1.7 million people will have coverage. And what that does is it, it, it improves hospital performance. It improves patient outcomes. It'll curtail the rate of hospital closures, uh, especially in rural communities. Um, so it, it, we have the opportunity to bring in over $15 billion for healthcare to the state of Texas. This creates jobs. This uh, helps small businesses uh, that can't afford uh, health premiums for their for their employees. And this is also going to reduce property taxes. So uh, there's just so many benefits because, and it will reduce property taxes because it impacts our safety net hospitals, such as UMC here in El Paso. So uh, as it relates to providing for indigent care. So expanding Medicaid would be such a benefit to our, our community, to our state. Uh, we just need to find that political will to just do it. Well, I agree with you. I'm hopeful that this session there'll be an epiphany by someone <laughs> that says, oh, okay, you know what? It's time for us to put our R&Ds aside and simply do what's in the best interests of our state, of our citizens in the community. We are with Senator Cesar Blanco, District 29, and State Representative Joe Moody, District 78, So thank you both gentlemen for being on the show. We appreciate it, and we wish you well during this upcoming session. Uh, We'll be cheering for you, I promise. Thank you all. Have a great Saturday.